You're listening to the Stay Sore Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back to the Stay Sore Podcast. I'm your host, Bo Skitsko, and I have the huge pleasure of talking to Dr. Joe Klemzewski. Do I say that right? Yeah, great. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Likewise, appreciate being here. Yeah, so uh, really quick to the viewers or listeners, depending where you are watching or listening to this podcast, um, the topic today is diabetes, what it is, why it is so dangerous, what to do to not get it, and then what to do when you actually have it and how to maybe even reverse it. So we're going to talk to Dr. Joe about these topics. And I wanted really quick, you have a really impressive list of achievements here. I want to read it really quick so people know who I'm talking to. Is that cool? Yeah, yeah great. You did physical therapy, then you have a PhD in nutrition, mm -hmm. a PhD in health education. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So you are also a pro bodybuilder, a mm -hmm. drug free pro bodybuilder, correct? Yes. Awesome. That's amazing. And then you also are a the founder of the diet doc. Mm -hmm. yes. Awesome. So dietdoc.com, like everything, weight loss, getting bodybuilders ready, regular everyday people, getting them healthier, fit, yep, right? Yeah. Absolutely. That's awesome. And quote unquote, you're the godfather of flexible dieting. Yeah. That, that, they, I love I, that. I picked it up. I, I love that. So you, you, you helped to countless athletes to become professionals over 400, if I understand correctly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this is the guy we're talking to today. Uh, do I need to say anything else? Mm -hmm. All right. Appreciate so uh, let's let, yeah, this is really impressive. Um, um, huge pleasure to talk to you. So first of all, what is diabetes and why is it so, so dangerous? Well, you, most people think of diabetes, they think about type 2 diabetes, which is something that a normal healthy person gradually kind of digs into because of just a, a higher uh, you know, amount of blood sugar over time, uh, just, just, just being in a calorie surplus over time, gaining weight. So if you think back to 40 or 50 years ago, in our country, we only had about a 5% obesity rate. And now it's climbing to 70, 75%. So that's a lot of people who have been eat, overeating for an entire generation or two. And when you do that, your, your blood sugar constantly goes up. I mean, you, I'm sure you talk to your clients and listeners about this all the time. You know, the, the blood sugar spikes and you have too much sugar, too much carbohydrate, just too much volume in a meal. Blood sugar is going to spike and then insulin is released from your pancreas and, and insulin drives blood sugar back down. That's its role. It's a good thing because we, we mm -hmm. need that blood sugar to come back down. The bad thing is, number one, your body's converting all of that excess caloric intake, all those excess carbs and sugar into primarily body fat. Mm -hmm. But secondly, you become so desensitized to it that like any chemical, your body needs more and more and more and more insulin to do that job. And eventually you just, your, your, your receptor sites are so desensitized, you just don't even respond to insulin. And so you need a, a more powerful pharmaceutical. So you start with something like metformin, et cetera. And, and you could, you could eventually kind of tip all the way into type one diabetes, or I should say, you know, type two diabetes where you're actually using even just raw insulin, you know, injectable mm -hmm. insulin. Mm -hmm. Uh, a small percentage of the population just cannot create insulin in the first place. There's a disorder with the pancreas. And so they end up as a type one diabetic, you know, it could be from birth, it could be due to a virus later in life, but it's almost an instantaneous switch where they, they need insulin because it's a, it's a medical disorder, but the vast majority of people end up 
going from insulin sensitivity to type two diabetes to insulin dependent type two diabetes. I understand. So there's two types of diabetes type one that you just get because you get it. It just can't do much about it. And then type two is the one that from your lifestyle choices, you develop it. For sure. And uh, really quick, you said from overeating and you were really specific in your wording because most people think it's just with sugar that's coming Mm. from sugar. But from what I understand, it's more than just sugar. It's from just overeating period, right? Yeah. I mean, your body releases insulin even when you eat just a a lean protein meal. You know, insulin is is the hormone that that just creates storage. So it it drives nutrients into cells, not not necessarily as body fat, but it's what helps drive even amino acids into muscle tissue for recovery. So insulin is not necessarily an evil bad guy. It's just that when we overplay that hand, when we overeat, and, and, and I mean, sugar and carbohydrates do tend to become the the bad guy in this equation. But but in reality, saturated fat has a higher, um, you know, relationship with diabetes than even sugar does. Mm -hmm. So if you want somebody with type two diabetes to immediately start getting results and feeling better and seeing their blood sugar come down, just taking carbohydrates down won't do that. You, You really need to bring down processed carb, sugar and saturated fat. Okay, so pretty much everything unhealthy. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So processed foods, everything that comes in the plastic baggie or plastic container that can sit on the shelf for 10 years and not go bad, that gives you diabetes, right? In simple terms? It's a a contributing factor for sure. Got it. Got it. So uh, I read a statistic in 2017, diabetes was the seventh leading cause of death in America. And it's becoming really quickly, especially from people sitting at home, not doing much, Last year, um, it's becoming really quickly number sixth. So it's mm-hmm. moving up in the ladder. Uh, why is it so bad? And why, why can you die from it if it's a leading cause? It's, it's actually kind of a combination of factors. Usually it would be difficult to say that somebody died just of diabetes, mm-hmm. um, although they could because of multiple amputations. Uh, when your blood sugar gets, gets too high and it stays high over time, it, it's very acidic. And so mm-hmm. you start eroding blood vessels, you start decreasing the amount of circulation, you even get you know kind of athero and arteriosclerosis throughout your body. And we end up just seeing what is that noise? Um, I may have to grab that real quick. Okay, you turn it you off. I, pause I can this real cut quick. it yeah, off. Sorry about that. Don't, don't worry about it. Sorry about that, man. We'll have to splice that out. All, no, all no worries. Life. It's all good. It's actually going to be more entertaining. I cut out the, the, the walking <laughs> and stuff, but it's all good. My, my uh, Spotify just all of a sudden kicked on another computer. But anyway, um, so for example, a lot of people who have an issue with, with type 2 but diabetes end up with hypertension, congenital heart failure. So it, it, it's part of kind of a triad of just being very unhealthy. Um, you know, it, it's almost treated in a series of symptoms all at one time. If somebody's getting treated for type 2 diabetes, there, there are definitely other factors involved. Understood. Understood. Okay. So, um, Let's just say somebody is afraid of getting diabetes. What, what, how should you live your life to never even get it and worry about it? You know, the, the number one way to to decrease your risk is to exercise, because as we're talking about carbohydrates and, and processed sugar and, and sugar in general, increasing, you know, the amount of blood glucose that you have, and then you're, you're getting into this insulin cycle. 
one of the best ways to combat that is to use high levels of glucose disposal, meaning that you're exercising at a level that you're actually using that blood sugar. Mm -hmm. And so that's a, a really critical, you know, part of it. Um, you know, it's going to be no surprise that you and I are just talking about doing things, as you said a minute ago, just being healthy. So, so reducing sugar, reducing processed carbs, reducing saturated fat, increasing mm -hmm. activity, but, but it's remarkable, you know, what it does over the course of decades of life. It, it's almost something that, that you, you can absolutely have an impact and improve your health at any point. But when you get decade after decade after decade of letting yourself go like that, it, it's, it's just a, a crisis waiting to happen. I understand. And, and I, I'm happy you mentioned exercise. It's not just nutrition and then sitting on the couch. The more you work out, the more the more your body uses the sugar and the insulin properly instead of uh, the, the food being stored as excess energy in, in the form of fat or triglycerides, it's actually going to be used as recovery tools and microglycogen restorage and stuff like that. And your sensitivity to insulin becomes a little healthier, more better, correct? Absolutely. And, and, you know, one of the ways we do this, if, you, if you're familiar with a blood panel, as, as mm -hmm. one of your listeners listening in, um, you know, one of the things you want to see is a higher level of HDL, the quote, good cholesterol. Mm -hmm. and, and that's typically elevated because of exercise. And so that's a cholesterol that's, that's created that actually cleans your bloodstream out, you know, going back to glucose disposal. So it's, it, it's just really important to do some higher level intensity. You know, I mean, walking is great and, and you're mm -hmm. going to increase your heart rate a little bit and you're burning some calories, but to be progressive with that and start really using your heart as a pump and, and increase those hormones uh, in a positive way is, is extremely helpful. Awesome. Awesome. So um, there's diabetes and then there's people that are pre-diabetic. What's the difference? Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's really just a continuum. So if, if you go get a, a you know, complete blood panel and they say, man, your, your blood sugar is 102. You cross that hundred, you know, mark. And, uh, and all of a sudden they say, man, that's, that's pre-diabetic. You better slow down a little bit. Cause as soon as you start getting to 120, 130, 140, they'll want to start putting you on a medication like metformin, something that, that just assists your body as a glucose disposal agent, you know, not quite insulin yet, but you're mm -hmm. on your way. And, you know, that, that should really be a red flag for people. If, if you get the diagnosis of pre-diabetic, it, it's time to, it's time to start making some changes. Okay. Uh, just a side question really quick. Does that mean you're overweight? I mean, do you have to be overweight? Does it, you know, it, I mean, most of the time, the vast majority of the time, yes, but you can have some disorders like, like hyperlipidemia or hypercholesteremia where your liver just congenitally makes too much cholesterol. So mm -hmm. I had a client one time who was a 44, 45 year old uh, doctor physician and, and he was a runner. I mean, he was 140 pounds. He was a vegetarian. He was doing everything he could to be healthy. And yet, even with Lipitor, a cholesterol-lowering medication, his total cholesterol was over 400. Mm -hmm. And his brother had died of heart disease in his 40s. His father had died of heart disease in his 40s. And so he was, you know, like, like time out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break this chain. But it is a, a, a congenital issue. You know, it's just his liver doing that. But you know, here's the great thing, Bo. He was doing everything he could that he thought was right in terms of being a vegetarian and so forth. I helped him start just kind of reducing mileage as, as a, you know, long distance runner and start working on a higher intensity type training. Like I said, to really reduce 
you know, glucose residually in the bloodstream. And we started increasing a little bit of EFAs. I'm, I'm not a keto guy, but mm-hmm. I wanted, I wanted to get him away from just carbohydrates, bring that down a little bit, increase his protein up to an appropriate level. We were able to bring his cholesterol down from over 400 to under 200. And so even somebody with a, a, a disease that requires medication, uh, you know, you can still make profound differences with just your, your choices. And uh, just can you elaborate for the simple person, high intensity, what do you mean by that? Um, you know, j- just getting your heart rate up a little bit. So whether you're on a bike or an elliptical or a treadmill, you know, a lot of people get stuck in the routines of just this, this is what I do. This is how I do my, my workouts. <clears throat> but but to really get your heart rate up and and feel some some cardiovascular conditioning, um, you know, if, if you remember back to you know, high school gym class or something or, or sports and your, your coach makes you run laps and until you can actually like taste blood in your throat. Like you, you, you know what you're training at a high intensity. Okay. Now, you know, in, in functional training terms, you go to an orange theory class or fit body or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're doing burpees and this and that CrossFit type stuff. And, and you're using so much muscle tissue all at one time that your heart rate just, it doesn't take much to elevate because you're working at a higher level. That, that's what I mean by high intensity. Okay. It's just, okay. So getting out of your comfort zone, huffing and puffing and mm-hmm. swinging your t- ponytail a little harder. Yeah. You know, safely and progressively, you know, you gotta, gotta, if you're at a level four or five, don't go up to a level, you know, 50, just, just, you know, incrementally do that and make sure you're safe, but, but definitely, you know, make yourself work a little harder. How does strength training come into the picture? Does it even come into the picture? Is that a benefit? Uh, I would say mildly. I, of course, I love strength training for a lot of reasons, orthopedically, you know, especially, but, um, you know, as we all know, when you build lean body mass, that's metabolically active tissue. So you're going to burn more calories at rest. You're going to increase your, your metabolic rate, you know, in a state of work because you have more muscle actually working. And so the, the whole process of glucose disposal just increases to a point where it you're just more efficient overall. It's not it's not the number one thing I would say you have to do, mm-hmm. but it's definitely complementary. Got it. So um, we talked about that you don't necessarily have to be overweight, even though most will be. So let's say a person listening to this, she's pre-diabetic, but like you said, I'll just take the medication and I'm good. Then what's yeah. the, why do I need to fix that? You know, I, I've got some friends like this just because they don't like to train. They're not they're not physically minded people. So, you know, I, I think of somebody who just may love to to read or watch TV and and live a pretty sedentary lifestyle. And, and maybe they're fortunate that they've not gained a lot of weight. You know, mm-hmm. genetically, they just may not have that predisposition or, or maybe they control their diet well enough. But yet still, because of just not enough exercise and maybe maybe lower quality food, you know, you can definitely creep up to that level over time for sure. But uh, again, the question is, why do I have to do anything if there's medication for me to not need to do anything about it? Uh, It's still going to be a tough thing to overcome. I mean, if you're taking the medication, Mm -hmm. it's going to help some symptomatology a little bit. It may slow you down, but you're still right on that razor's edge of of pretty, you know, severe ill health. It's, It's definitely... I understand. So I I think we have the same goal. We want to help people live the healthiest life possible. So what? How can we, quote unquote, scare people? What What are the side effects and the symptoms? Like, why is it like 
why should I be afraid of diabetes? What, are, what am I going to practically feel mm. when I have it? Um, you know, most people are going to start by just feeling a lot of hypoglycemia. And it, it's a very interesting thing because it, it's counterintuitive. You, you feel like, you know, maybe 30 minutes, 60 minutes after you eat, or even a couple hours, like your blood sugar really gets low quickly and you mm -hmm. feel shaky, hypoglycemic. So you think, oh my gosh, I have to eat something. So you grab some carbohydrates and then you just start creating that instability and that roller coaster. And, and you often feel like, like you need it, like, like your body's demanding those carbs. But interestingly, as you, as you start decreasing your carbs and start increasing your spacing between meals, so you're not just grabbing a snack every time you're hungry, you know, you have to respect those feelings of low blood sugar, but just start making better choices one step at a time. Mm -hmm. You will start resensitizing those receptor sites and, and it'll get easier and easier and easier. And I'll say it like this. Here's a great example. I have a client who's pre-diabetic, reactive hypoglycemic. So, you know, has medication, is definitely being watched by her doctor. And as I started talking to her about trying to squeeze those meal, meals apart and so forth, she said, no, no, I, I can't do it because my blood sugar will get too low. And, and mm -hmm. she was clearly very scared. And I said, look, we're not, we're not going from one hour between meals to 10 hours. I'm talking about just making really small changes at a time. And this was somebody who, who couldn't lose body fat. She was really struggling. Now, all of a sudden, you know, quote, all of a sudden, two, three months later of her making these really incremental changes. Now she's got some meals in the day where there are four to five hours between meals. She's not snacking every time she feels a little hunger pang. She's losing body fat like crazy. Now, now when she couldn't lose at all, now she's losing a pound and a half to two pounds a week and she feels better. You know, the strength, the energy is coming back. And all of that is simply because She's she's resensitizing those those receptor sites for for insulin, and now the insulin in her body is just more powerful and able to keep up as it should. I understand, and I love what you just said. To summarize all of it, the the deeper into this state you are, the the more you're gonna eat, the less energy you're gonna have. The more you're gonna eat, the less energy you're gonna have. It is, and it's so counterintuitive because we think food gives us energy, yes, but it just perpetuates that downward cycle. So pretty much to undo that, you have to do the opposite, like trying to space it out progressively, slowly, controlled with better quality choices as well. Yeah, you know, I'll give you another quick example. I, I was at kind of an off-season level of, of body fat and weight. I, I decided I want to take three or four years and kind of do some powerlifting. But then about three or four months ago, you know, it was time. I'm going to start losing some body fat. All I had to do, Bo, was take out my mid-morning snack in one of my two afternoon snacks. So it was like a granola bar here, granola bar there, that, mm -hmm. that amount of food. And I immediately started losing a pound a week. And, and it was, it's not necessarily linear math. You know, those two snacks would not equate to a pound of body fat a week, mm -hmm. but it opened up those, those fasting windows between my meals, between breakfast and lunch and lunch and my pre-workout so that I was actually forcing my body to use more body fat between those meals. It's, it's the fact that every time we get a little hungry, we grab a snack with a little nibble here, a little nibble there, and you never force your body to ever use body fat. I, I love that you mentioned that because it turns out you can control your body composition, not just with calorie in versus calorie out, which is still a concept that works, 
but also with being smart and timing and letting your body rest from digestion and rest from all these hormones. So you can manipulate your hormones with timing and choices. Absolutely. I love 100%. that. I love that. So, so it, I, my last question was going to be give people some, if you can, would you be able to give people two or three very practical tips to like, after this podcast, turn it off. What can you do to lose fat, to not get diabetes, or to maybe start reversing it? And the first one you already answered, increase those, those windows between feeding. Any, anything else practically that people could use simple right now? Yeah, there, there, it, it always has to be habit-based. So, you know, I, I would not recommend somebody go out and start, you know, running two hours a day, but I would, I would want to create the habit by blocking in that time. So, you know, pick a time of the day where you can exercise starting with 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you know, what can you do just to start that habit? Could be just a 10 minute walk at lunch, but you've got to do something to start increasing glucose disposal and increasing the progressiveness of your cardiovascular fitness. You know, the second thing would be, yes, um, you know, create those, those little window blocks, you know, make sure that you, you really are empty. You know, when you go to eat a meal, you want to make sure you're not putting food on top of food on top of food in your stomach, you know, Definitely. wait for, wait for your body to get empty and to need those nutrients. And then that means in between meals, you will have already started flipping the metabolic switch to start using body fat. And the third thing I would say, Bo, is just, you know, use some level of objectivity to your food overall. You know, whether it's tracking macros or, or just, you know, calories, or even if you're using kind of a meal plan, you know, map it out so you know it's appropriate. But, but, but it, what I just said there, the metabolic switch is a real physiological phenomena where your body is, is so used to using carbohydrates. You've got all the carbs you need in your diet. You've got all the carbs you need stored in your liver and your muscle tissue. But it's only when you get to empty when you've completely depleted your liver, you, your, your, your muscle tissue is starting to become depleted, that you force your body to use a maximum amount of body fat. And you want to stay on that end of the continuum in that metabolic position. So it takes some consistency. If you're really, really great for two or three days, and then you go eat, you know, three baskets of tortilla chips and four margaritas, bam, you know, you're right back where you started. Mm -hmm. And it takes three or four days to get back here. And then bam, you do it again. Once you're here, you know, lock in and stay there. Just, just be consistent. You can be flexible. You can, you can have a nice meal once in a while, but you really have to know that you're objectively staying in that calorie deficit or, or it's just so less efficient. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much. And just, just uh, from a personal training perspective, just wanted to make sure people understand exercising is not always about burning more calories. Sometimes exercising is making sensitivity of your cells, improving the sensitivity of your cells, improving hormonal balances and stuff. It's not just about looking at your watch at the end of the workout. How many calories did I burn today? There's a much bigger picture to it. So, and then combining exercise, nutrition, maybe even sleep and stress management. For sure. That's that's the big picture, right? Yeah, I, I really love what you just said about performance with your workouts. That's that's exactly how I view it. Every workout you do, there should be a performance goal. What am I getting better at? How am I improving? And the calories will take care of themselves. That you're gonna you're gonna probably burn more calories by doing that. So so do something fun, do something athletic, do something progressive and and make it fun. I think we need to finish on this this sentence. Make it fun. Make it fun. Thank you so much, Dr. Joe. Where can people find you or get in contact with you or learn more about you? Uh, you can go to thedietdoc.com 
or my my Instagram and and Facebook handle is just at Joe Klemzeski. Okay, I'll, I'll put it in the description below underneath the YouTube video or the uh, podcast platform, wherever you're watching or listening to this, subscribe to the channel, but also go to Dr. Joe's uh, Instagram, subscribe to him. He has a lot of live streams, very educational going on. I actually listened to one today while working out myself. Um, thank you so much for being on the show and the podcast. Maybe in the future, if you're down for it, let's do another one. Definitely. I've really had fun, man. Thanks. All right. Have a good one. Thank you. Thank you.